Amen. All right, while they receive the offering, let's go. Let's pull out our Bibles. Um, get your Bibles out. Acts 8 is where we're going to be this morning. If you didn't bring your Bible, um, there's a Bible underneath the seat you're sitting in. Right? If you left your Bible at home or in the car, make sure you pull that out. You're going to want it. We're going to be walking through this text together. If you don't own a Bible, you don't own a Bible, um, steal that one. You can just steal that, that Bible. The, the only string is you have to tell a friend this week that you stole a Bible from church, and you got to let me know what they say. All right? That's the, that's the caveat to that. Acts 8 in that blue Bible. It's on page 1014. Page 1014. We began Acts 8 last Sunday, um, and Acts 8 is, is linked. It's inextricably linked to Acts 1, verse 8. Acts chapter 8 is linked to Acts 1, verse 8. Acts 1, verse 8, Jesus says to his followers, the Holy Spirit's gonna come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so then Acts 2 through uh, 7, there's this unbelievable uh, upswelling of the church in Jerusalem. The church is exploding. As we talked about last week, God causes, he brings about suffering, the removal of comfort, persecution. Saul is ravaging the church, Luke says, in order to spread the church throughout all of Judea and all of Samaria. And in the same chapter in Acts 8, We're going to see God say, not just Jerusalem, not just Samaria, but the ends of the earth. This is my passion. This is where we're going. This is what I want to do through you, my followers, the people who have given me their lives, or the people who who have rescued from spiritual darkness and brought into spiritual life. Man, I'm going to bless your life by using you to reach the ends of the earth. And we see him declaring this in all of Acts 8. And so last week was was uh, Judea and Samaria, and this week is the ends of the earth. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to read this passage together, but we believe that this book is the word of God. Every letter on every page holds all authority over our lives, and so we submit ourselves to it. And so if you would, in reverence to the word of God, if you'd stand with me, if you're able, if you'd stand with me, I'm going to read it for us this morning. We're going to pick it up in verse 26, Acts 8, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he arose and went. And there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and he was returning Seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join his chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading is this. Like a sheep, he was led to slaughter. Like a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. 
And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on rejoicing. But Philip found himself in Astos, and, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel all the way through all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can grab a seat. All right, famous story, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. If you grew up in church, you've heard this story before, right? But ultimately, what I, what I said at the beginning is, is this is deeply linked to Acts 1.8. This whole chapter is linked to Acts 1.8. God is declaring, I am serious about fulfilling the vision and the mission that I laid forth in Acts 1.8. What we're seeing in this book um, is, is the ends of the earth. What we're seeing is God saying, um, yes, Jerusalem, Yes, Judea, yes, Samaria, but all the way to the ends of the earth. The Ethiopian represents the end of the earth. For Philip, for everybody in the Greek Empire, and now in the Roman Empire, everybody views Ethiopia as the end of the earth. It was the farthest most point of the empire. Um, one of the most famous works ever, one of the most famous Greek works ever, uh, was written by Homer, right? Homer's Odyssey. In the beginning of Homer's Odyssey, he writes this in 750, around 750 B.C., Homer writes this. Um, in book one, line 23 and 24 of the Odyssey, he says this, Poseidon, the god of the sea and water, had gone among the far-off Ethiopians, the Ethiopians who dwell sun-dreaded and twine, the furthermost of men. The furthermost of men. At the end of the earth, the end of the known world, resides this place called Ethiopia. And, and here, God ordains this moment for Philip. He creates it, he shapes it, he forms it, and he, and, he, and he does it in order to show us that he's passionate about fulfilling Acts 1-8, that his, that his gospel and his kingdom and his church are going to advance to the ends of the earth. And he's going to oversee the whole thing, and he's going to use people like you and me to do it. This is what we see in Acts 1-8, that God is passionate. God is passionate about sovereignly advancing his kingdom, his church, and his gospel to the ends of the earth. And he divinely invites us to join him in this work. This is, this is what Acts 8 declares to us, that God is passionate about sovereignly advancing his kingdom, his church, and his gospel to the ends of the earth. And he divinely invites us to join with him in this work. He's going to use the saved to save the redeemed to redeem, the freed to free. He is going to use his church to advance his church. This has been the plan from the moment Christ ascends into heaven until the moment he returns from heaven. This is the plan, that God would use those who call upon him as Savior and King of all things, that he would use us to advance his gospel and his kingdom. The good news of Christ and the kingdom of Christ and his church, his bride, would be advanced through you and I. And so what we're going to do this morning as we look at this story, we're going to ask two big questions. We're going to ask a gajillion little questions, but two big questions. The two big questions are this. We're going to look at Philip, and we're going to say, all right, Philip, what does it look like to join God in this kingdom-advancing work? But then we're going to look at the Ethiopian and say, what does it look like? As we do this, what does it look like as people begin to, as God uses us in their lives, 
What does it look like for our friends, our neighbors, our family members, our coworkers to come to know Christ, to give their lives to him through what God is doing in us? As God uses us, as we join him in this kingdom advancing work, what does it look like for our friends, our family members, our coworkers, and people to the ends of the earth to come to know him? Those are the two big questions that we're wrestling with. And so we're going to start with Philip. And the first thing that we see in Philip um, is this immediate obedience. He is immediately obedient to the promptings of God. And there's two promptings. The first prompting is the prompting of an angel. That's the first thing we see in the very first uh, verse there. Verse 26 um, reads this way. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. Verse 27, the first line, and he rose and went. Immediately, right? Immediately, this angel shows up. He says, I want you to go down to this road where the road meets, the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. And he doesn't give me any more information. Like, that's it. That's confusing. That's strange. But like, immediately he goes. Now, that might not be too surprising, right? When an angel shows up and tells you to do something, like, chances are you're probably going to do it, right? You're going to change your pants, um, and then you're going to go do it, right? He's like, because uh, who, who is going to ignore that? Who, who is going to disobey an angel of God? But Philip is immediately obedient to this angel. And I think that's a mark, a, a mark of one who longs to join God, one who um, is engaged with God in the renewal of all things, one who is engaged with God in this kingdom advancing work. A mark of their lives is immediate obedience to the promptings of God whether it's an angel or not. And so the first prompting is an angel. And if we can, just for a minute, just for a second, let's, let's set this aside. Let's set Acts 8 aside. I want to talk about this idea of, of being obedient to the prompting of an angel because I think that that's something that's, that's weird and strange and maybe even a little bit scary. And it, and it actually should be. It actually should be. Um, in uh, 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. 14, uh, Paul says that even Satan, even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. All right? So there, there's a little bit of fear in that. I, I don't know about you, but if an angel shows up to me, I'm like, oh, how do I know? How, how do I know if it's, if, it's, if, it's, if it's an angel, if it's Satan? Like, how, how would I ever know? I think it's actually pretty simple. We just, we just look at angels in Scripture, right? Every, everywhere an angel shows up in the New Testament, um, it's very specific, um, and when an angel shows up, uh, an angel has been given a message by God that for an individual person that, he, the, that God either wants them to go someplace immediately or wants them to know something that is going to immediately happen to them. Okay? This is important. Okay? I'm, this, I'm choosing my language carefully. When an angel shows up in Scripture, it shows up usually to one single individual or a small group of people, but usually it's just one individual. And the angel wants something for that individual alone. He wants that individual to either go do something, right? Go to the road where from, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza, right? Or, or maybe the, the shepherds, when the angels appear to the shepherds, right? Go to Bethlehem. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, laying in a manger, right? Wants them to go do something. Or he wants that person, just that person, okay, to know what God is immediately doing in their life, okay? Um, Zachariah, your, your, your wife's going to give birth to a boy, right? Or, or uh, Mary, you're going to conceive and you're going to have a son, okay? Um, he wants them to know something that immediately is going to happen to them specifically. 
or, or he wants them to go do something themselves specifically. It is never, it is never, throughout all scripture, an angel never shows up and gives one person something that is for all people, okay? Or, or for something that is for someone else, okay? He, he never says, so if you, if you meet somebody who says, man, an angel told me that I need to tell you this, that's not, that's not normal. That's strange, right? Or, or an angel told me that this is going to be true for all people for all time. That's not, not, not normal. In fact, when God wants to declare a, a truth or a change um, to, to a people group, when he wants to reveal something new for all people, he does it himself. He does it himself. When God wants to reveal the law to his people, he shows up and he delivers that law. When he has some, a word for the nation of Israel, he shows up and he delivers that word through the priest. He does it himself. He shows up himself. When he wants to, when he wants to usher in uh, a, a new um, covenant and a new commandment, he does it himself through Christ. If, if it's for a large group of people, God does it himself. When it's for an individual or maybe just a couple people, he'll send an angel. He wants it done immediately and quickly, right? This is, how, this is how we can see this. And we can always test it with scripture. Is what I'm being told right now consistent in an obedience to and according to all that is written in this word, in this book? If not, I'd run away from that. I'd want nothing to do with it. That's scary to me trippy, and I don't, I don't want anything to do with it, all right? So just a little bit, a little side note on the promptings of angels. Now back into Acts 8. The second prompting that we see is from the Holy Spirit, which is, I would argue is far more common. It's far more common in Scripture, far more common in what we see in our lives, in the lives of the church, as a, as a prompting of the Holy Spirit. This takes place in Acts 8, 29. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot, verse 30. So Philip ran to him, Okay? What I find fascinating about this, and I think is really important, is that it doesn't matter to Philip whether an angel of the Most High God appears to him in, in shining glory and says, here's what I want you to do, or if the Holy Spirit softly prompts his heart, the response is the same. Immediate obedience. And those who long to join God in the renewal of all things in this kingdom advancing work and the advancing of his church, those who long to join God in, in, in bringing many sons to glory, we are a people of immediate obedience. When the Spirit prompts us in our lives, we are obedient to the Spirit. Now the, now the next question, the next kind of natural question is, what does that look like? What does the prompting of the Spirit look like? Right? How, how does Philip know that he's supposed to go to this chariot? How, do, how are we supposed to know the people that God wants us to engage with in our lives? How, how do we know what neighbors, friends, coworkers, random strangers on the street, how do we know? I would argue it's actually pretty simple. Um, there's two things. I would say, man, if, if, if your heart ever just deeply, deeply breaks for someone, or there's ever a, a weight on your soul for someone, like this unshakable way, you just cannot get them off of your mind. You lay awake in bed and you just can't stop thinking about them. Or, or you know something's going on in their life and you know some of the details, but maybe not all of it. And your heart just kind of breaks for them. Throughout the day, you find yourself kind of mourning over their sorrow, mourning over their suffering. All right, you find yourself laying awake in bed at night, mourning over them. Listen, you're not that nice of a person. You're just not. Like, neither am I. 
Neither am I. Like, we did, we, that's not who we are. We're not constantly mourning with people and finding sorrow with them and joining them in their sorrow. That's the Spirit of God working in our lives, in our hearts, laying that, breaking our hearts, laying that weight on our soul and just saying, man, maybe we don't know what's going on, but there's this weight on my soul and I just can't stop thinking about this person. As I go through my day, it's just like, it's just weighty on me. And I don't know why I'm just kind of drawn to this person. Or maybe it's a random person, this, this person at Starbucks or that person at the gym. I, I, just, I just can't stop kind of thinking about them. I'm just drawn to them. God is constantly at work. He's constantly moving and working and laying these people on our hearts. The God who oversees your years your weeks, your days, and your moments for the sake of his glory is regularly creating divine appointments in the lives of those who follow him for the advancement of his kingdom. The God who oversees your years, your weeks, your days, your moments for the sake of his glory is regularly creating divine appointments in the lives of those who follow him. This means, friends, constantly. He is sovereign over it all. He's in control of it all. He is the one, his spirit is the one that's moving. It is no surprise to God that you live in the house that you live in. He's over that. He's sovereign over it. It's no surprise to him. He's not caught off guard by the fact that you work where you work. That your neighbors are who they are. That your coworkers are who they are. That your kids are involved in the, in the sports leagues that they're involved in. And that the other kids whose parents come are also involved in those. God is constantly ordering all these things. He's not surprised that you go to the, that gym over there instead of that gym over there. He's ordering all of these moments in our lives. And the Spirit is constantly at work prompting those who would move in obedience, move in immediate obedience towards them, those whom he has put placed in our lives. This is constantly happening. It's constantly happening. So what do we do? What do we do when um, we experience this, this kind of divine prompting, this moment, when we experience the Spirit uh, moving in our lives? I, I think first, before we get into that, we should be asking Him regularly. God, would you put somebody in my life today? Would you, would you break my heart? Would you put a weight on me for somebody in my life today, whether it's somebody random or somebody I know well? And the reality is I think most of us in this room probably have that person. If you're a follower of Christ, you probably have somebody in your life that you're just kind of always in the back of your mind and you know that they don't know Jesus, but they're always kind of there just kind of nagging and there's this weight to your soul when it comes to that person. And you find yourself kind of praying for them and you just don't even know quite why, but, but God has placed them on your heart. That is the spirit of cross at work in your life. And so we must move. We must move towards that. We can't, we can't ignore that any longer. And so what do we do? What, what do we do? I think we get hung up on this, this what do we do, because we always wonder, I don't know what to say. Like, what do I do? Like, how, how, do, I, how do I say the right thing? I'm going to argue that when, when our heart begins to break for someone, and there's a weight on our soul for someone. It's not about what we say. It's about what they say. It's not about what you say. It's not, it's not about your words. It's about what they say. It's about what they are going to say to you, what the Spirit is going to prompt them to say to you. L look at the text in verse 29. Philip doesn't do anything other than ask a very simple question in response to something that he hears. 
something that they say versus something that he says. Verse 29, and the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? Philip doesn't doesn't kind of burst into the chariot and say, if you die tonight, do you know where you're going to go? Doesn't do that, right? Have you trusted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Doesn't, Doesn't do that. He goes to the chariot and he listens. He listens. He hears. He hears uh, the, the Ethiopian reading from Isaiah 53. And rather than launching into um, something, he asks a simple question. He asks a simple question. Do you understand what you're reading? And maybe for us, it's, it's that simple. Like we see a friend or somebody at the office reading some religious book, right? Maybe it's the Bible. Maybe it's, um, maybe it's the Quran. Maybe it's, maybe it's Oprah, for crying out loud, right? They're, really, they're reading something, and we're like, hey, hey, what are you, what are you reading? This is like a simple question, a simple end. Some other things that might prompt you in this way, some things, if you, if you could begin to train your mind to listen well, um, there's what we call these, these not statements. And I, I don't know who came up with these. But I've heard them several times from several different folks. But there's what we call these three not statements. And, and the first one is this. Man, um, the, the first one is this. I, man, I, I was not prepared for that. I was not prepared for that. I, 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 man, I, I, the doctor called and it's cancer. And I just, we're just not ready. We're not ready for this. My kid just failed out of college and he's moving home and and we're just not ready. I'm not prepared for that. I just lost my job. I think we might have to sell the house and and I just wasn't ready for that. My spouse came home and told me that they don't want to be with me anymore. I'm just not, I wasn't prepared for that. And when the Spirit of God has placed someone in our lives and we're listening well and we hear that statement, we just respond with a simple question. Just a simple question. Man, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to hear that. Listen, I be- this might be weird, but I believe in a God who is sovereign over all things. He loves you more. He loves you more than you'll ever begin to understand. And he wants for you, he longs for you to experience the fullness of joy. Can I, can I just pray for you? Simple question. Can I just pray for you? Listen, people who are experiencing sorrow and longing and hurt are ready to be prayed for because they, they want to be healed. They want to be restored. They, they, they long for that. And so we just respond with a simple question. Another st- not statement is things are not going well. Man, this thing just blew up on work and it's just not going well. This thing just blew up in my life and it's just, I mean, I, it's just not going well. It's just, just gosh, it's just all falling apart. We respond with a simple question. I, I know this might be strange, but I believe in a God who's sovereign over all things. He loves you more than anything in, than, than you can ever begin to imagine. He loves you. And he longs for you to experience the fullness of his joy. Can I just pray for you? It's a simple question. It's so simple. The last not statement is, I'm not from here. Now, I think this one is actually uh, a big one for Utah, um, because if you're not from here, you know exactly what I'm talking about. This place is hard, all right? It's hard to find community in Utah. We're working on a class right now at Flourishing Grace. It's like Utah 101. It's like, hey, hey, I, hey, welcome to Mars. We're going to help you figure it out, okay? Um, 
it, it is hard. If you are not from here, it's hard to kind of break in to find community. And so when we hear people say, man, I, I'm not from here, right? I, I've watched people, I've watched people move here. I've only been here for four years. I've watched people move here, turn around and leave because they just could not find community. And so a simple, simple question in response to what we hear, I'm not from here. Listen, Dude, I don't, know, I don't know if you have anything to do, but I, I've got this, this amazing community at, at church, and they're doing this thing called August Together. We're doing all these kind of crazy fun things, and I'm actually going to go do this one. You want, you want to come with me? We, we meet on Sundays, and it's so much fun. There's so many people, and I know that you would fit in. I know that they would love you well. Why don't you come with me? Why don't you join with me in this? It's a great way to find community. I'm not from here. Simple response to something that we hear, a simple question and something that we hear. And so are you listening well? Are you listening at all? When God puts that person on our heart or that weight on our soul, let us be a people who listen to them. And as we listen, the Spirit begins to open doors. So how do we know? How do we know when it's actually time to lay out the gospel for someone? Not just pray for them, not just invite them, but to actually open the scriptures and lay out the gospel for them. I'm going to argue from the text that it's when we begin to see the fruit of the Spirit in their life, when we begin to see the Spirit working in them. And so we have this burden on our soul. We begin to engage in a little simple conversation. We begin to ask simple questions over things that we're hearing. But when we begin to see the Spirit producing in them supernatural, okay, supernatural um, hunger and humility before God. Supernatural hunger and humility before God. Now, now we can open the scripture. Look at the text um, in verse, uh, Acts 8, verse 31. So uh, Philip says, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian says, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now this is fascinating. If you think about it for a second. We learn in this text that the Ethiopian is not just any normal Ethiopian. It's, it's one who sits in the royal court of the queen of Ethiopia, the CFO of a kingdom, a very wealthy kingdom, by the way. In the Greek and Roman Empire, Ethiopia was wealthy. It was a mining kingdom. They produced all kinds of well, worthy uh, jewels and things out of the ground. So Ethiopia was extremely wealthy. And this guy sits over the treasure of the entire kingdom. He's riding in some swank chariot down the road. This is not a normal guy. But what we see is absolutely supernatural hunger. I mean, I want to know, I want to understand, and humility, but I can't. And so here, king of Ethiopia, right, or, or the royal official of the queen of Ethiopia, and you got Philip, this, this fisherman from Bethesda. He's like, come on in, join me. Let me scoot over and make way, because your knowledge, your intellect of the word is valuable to me. I can't, I, I, the royal official of the queen of Ethiopia, I can't understand this. I don't have the wisdom, I don't have the insight. And so come on, guy from Bethesda, little fisher guy from Bethesda, come, come on up in my, in my Bentley and explain this to me. Explain to me what's going on in this text. And so, and so Philip does. And I said, man, when we begin to see that, that is it. The Spirit is doing the work of evangelism all over. This is, I said at the beginning, God is sovereign over this. 
He is sovereign over this. He is ordering this moment by moment. The Spirit is putting on our heart and on our soul the weight and the burden for a person. The Spirit is creating the conversation. He's opening the doors by by giving us ears to hear things as we listen while he's opening the doors for us to stick our toes in. But then he's also doing the work in their heart. He's also doing the work in their life. He's producing the hunger and the humility that it takes to to know Christ, to come before Christ and to admit, I can't do it. I need a Savior. He's producing that in them, this hunger and this humility, a hunger for the Word, a hunger for hope, and a humility to actually declare that we need hope, that we need a Savior. The Spirit's doing the work. We get to join in in that. I have a little boy, Winston. He's four years old. And Winston loves the garden. It's this, it's this strange thing. Like literally we'll be sitting there eating dinner and all of a sudden you'll be like, oh, we haven't checked the garden today. It's like, well, okay, well, let's, just, let's just wait. It'll be the same in like 10 minutes after we're done eating. No, 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 we got to go now. We got to check the garden. Like he loves the garden. The vegetables like never actually make it in the house because he like eats them before we get there. I'm like, stop, dude, you can't eat a whole zucchini. Like stop, like, stop eating it raw. Like he's, just, he's all about the garden. He loves helping mom and dad. He loves planting the plants and, and checking the garden and, and seeing it. And he loves them. I mean, of course, the most favorite thing is like when you see the tomato actually turning red and, and we let him be the one that picks the tomato or picks the cucumber or the zucchini or whatever it is, pull up the carrots. It's amazing. He loves it. He loves it. But here's the thing. If, if I just let Winston do it, if I said, okay, here, man, here's the plants, here's the seeds, go do it. It would just be a pile of dirt, man. <laughs> There'd be nothing there. It'd be like dead cooked plants and, and, and nothing. I mean, it'd just be absolutely nothing because he doesn't know what's going on behind the scenes. He doesn't know that mom and dad are thinking strategically, okay, where do we plant which plant so it gets the right amount of sunlight and the right amount of all this? And, and how, do, how much do we water each plant so it gets the right amount of water? And what, what should we feed each plant so it gets the right nutrients? Uh, and he, he's not involved behind the scenes as we're thinking through things and, and holding them back so that he doesn't pick things like way too early because he totally would. Um, and so we, we, we're, we're, we're there coaching and guiding and we're the ones actually doing the work. He just gets the sweet joy of picking that ripe tomato or or whatever it might be. Um, He gets the sweet joy of that. In the same way, this this is God's plan for our neighbors, our friends, our family members, our community to the ends of the earth. He is at work. He is doing the work. The Spirit is moving in their lives and in ours. And we just get the sweet joy of reaching out and picking the fresh fruit. We see the fruit being produced in their lives. There's hunger and there's humility. And we get to reach out and we get to pick it. We get to to invite them to pray, to receive Christ. We get to open open our mouths and share the gospel with them. We get to baptize them into Christ and and celebrate with them as their family and their friends, as their lives are transformed. We get the fruit of it. He is doing all the work. We get the joy of going and checking the garden. So we're people who check the garden. We're constantly looking for fruit in the lives of our neighbors, our friends, and our coworkers. And when we begin to see that fruit, now, now the moment comes that we can begin to harvest that fruit and we can lay out Christ before them. And this is what Philip does. Philip does. He listens well. He asks good questions. He checks the garden. He sees this hunger and this humility. And now the question is, so now what do I say? What do I say now? I see it. They're, they're coming along. They're, they're, they're doing a, they they want to come with me to, to church. They're, they're asking these deep spiritual questions. I've seen this hunger. I'm seeing this humility. Now, now what do I say? What do I say now? Let's look at Philip. Verse 32, 
Now, the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. This is Isaiah 53. Like a sheep, he was led to slaughter. Like a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life was taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the what? The what? Beginning with this scripture, he told him the what? The good news about Jesus. The good news about Jesus. Beginning with this scripture, Philip began to unpack the systematic theology found throughout the entire book of Isaiah and presented it to the Ethiopian. Beginning with this scripture, he wowed him with his seminary-level smarts, and he showed him all of the Hebraic textual variants found in Isaiah 53 from the original manuscripts that we have today. No. He just told him about Jesus, man. He starts here in this text because this is where it is. This, is. this is where the Ethiopian is. This is where the Spirit has prompted him to go. And Philip says, look, that, 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 that lamb, that lamb, that's the sacrificial lamb. That, that sheep that was led to slaughter, that's Christ. Christ is the one that was led to slaughter. He was crucified on your behalf and mine. The lamb is a sacrificial lamb. God sacrificed his own son. He did not spare him, but he, but he nailed him to a cross in my place and in your place, Ethiopian. He nailed him there in your place because he loves you. He, he's passionate about you. He wants you to know him. He wants you to be able to draw near to him. And so he's removed. He's removed the law. He's removed sin. He's removed everything that stood between you and him so that if you will trust in Christ, Christ will atone, will atone for your sin and impute his righteousness upon you. He will wash you. He will cleanse you, make you white as wool, pure as snow. And we can now join in with God in the renewal of all things. We can join in with God in this kingdom advancing work, we can, be a, we can be his people, and he can be our God. We can know him intimately. The Spirit can take up residence inside of us and begin to prompt us and give us people in our lives to share this good news with. It's always about Christ. Christ alone rescues. Christ alone redeems. Our prayers, simply praying for someone, cannot redeem them. Simply uh, inviting them to church cannot save them for eternity. Christ alone does that. Christ alone changes eternity for people's lives. Christ alone redeems people's souls. Christ alone. So we always, what do we do? We always take them to Christ. When the person that we've been praying for says, man, thank you for praying for me. I've just been experiencing this peace over the situation in my life. Every day I just feel this, this, this sense of peace and it's just amazing. So thank you. We take him to Christ. Man, let me tell you, that's not, that's not any normal peace. That's from the Prince of Peace. Christ has brought peace to earth. By, by giving his life, he's removed the wrath of God for those who trust in him, for those who cling to him. He has given us the right to become heirs to the throne of grace. We can have full peace in Christ. You can have greater peace than you've ever experienced in Christ. Maybe the person says, man, thanks for praying for me. Thanks for inviting me to church. I've just been experiencing this, this renewal in my marriage, this restoration. And that's not any restoration. That's restoration from the God who is the restorer of all things. 
God is working to restore all things in Christ. He's given his life so that he might restore our relationship with him. He's given his life so that he might restore all things to himself and, and advance his kingdom, that there would be a new heaven and a new earth where we can reign with him forever. He is the God of restoration. you got to know Christ. Christ is the core of all of this. We always take it to Christ. When there's hunger and humility, man, we must go to Christ because Christ is all there is. Christ is all that anyone ever needs. Christ is sufficient for all things in our lives. Every joy, every desire, every delight, every treasure is found in him, found in the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And this is where Philip goes. He says, all right, here's the text. That's great. Let me take you to the good news of Christ because the good news of Christ is sufficient for all things in your life. The good news of Christ is the only thing that's going to restore. The good news of Christ is the only thing that's going to bring everlasting joy and delight to you, Ethiopian to you, flourishing grace, to your neighbors, your friends, and your coworkers. The last question is this. How do we know? Okay, what we've been immediately obedient to the promptings of the Spirit. We've drawn near as, as, a, as the burden has been laid on our heart. We've listened well. We've heard things, and we've responded to those things just by kind of lobbing in some simple questions. And those in those simple questions, we've seen this kind of fruit begin to be produced, this fruit of humility and hunger for God. And, so we, and then we stepped out in boldness, and we've, and we've laid the gospel before them, the good news of Jesus. How do we know that they have actually responded to this? All the way back to the beginning. What's the mark of one who wants to follow Jesus? What's the mark of one who wants to be obedient and join God in this kingdom advancing work? Immediate obedience. And that's what we see in the eunuch. Look at the next verse and at the end of this in, in Acts 8, 36. It reads this way. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water. And Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. There's this immediate response and immediate obedience that we see in the life of the eunuch and in the life of our friends, our neighbors, our family members, our coworkers who, who give their lives to Jesus. There's an immediate obedience to Christ. Man, I want to be baptized because Christ has called me to be baptized. I, I want to open my word and read the word daily because, because Christ is there and I want to be obedient, submit my life to his word. I want to know the spirit. I want to be obedient to the promise of the spirit so that I can be a part of this kingdom advancing work. There's an immediate obedience in those who trust Christ with their lives, who've given their lives to him. There's an immediate obedience. I said at the beginning that God is passionate about sovereignly advancing his kingdom, his church, and his gospel to the ends of the earth. And he divinely invites us to join with him in this work. The saved will be the ones he uses to save. The redeemed will be the ones that he uses to redeem freed to free the church to advance the church. He wants to use you. And if you're a follower of Jesus in the room this morning, I know not everybody is. I'm excited you're here. I'm glad that you're here. But if you're a follower of Jesus, I want to speak just to you. And we must become people. We must become people who are marked by these things. We must be people who ask the Spirit to fill and prompt your heart. For those in your day who need to hear. Ask the Spirit to fill and prompt your heart for those who, in your day who need to hear. Are you asking every day? We must be people who listen. Listen to the words of those whom he lays on your heart. Are we people who listen well? 
As you engage with them, check the garden. Look for spirit-given hunger and humility in their lives. When you see the work of the Spirit in their lives, clearly and openly point them to Christ. When you see the Spirit producing that fruit, clearly and openly point them to Christ. And then finally, look for an eagerness to obey. Look for an eagerness to obey. If you're not a follower of Jesus in the room this morning, it is no surprise to God that you are here this morning. He's not caught off guard by that. He's not like, whoa, you went to church. Like, he's not surprised by that. He's been pursuing you. He's been calling you. The hunger and the humility that you've been experiencing in your life, that's the spirit of God, of God at work in you. Regenerating you, bringing you, calling you, wooing you, pursuing you, loving you, caring you, bringing you to Christ. And Christ is all. He is in all. Christ is the one that you need more than you need the breath in your lungs. And so maybe this morning you give yourself to him. Maybe this morning is the morning you say, okay, enough fighting, enough clinging to the other things. I'm going to lay down my life before Christ. I'm going to give it to him. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to treasure him above all things. I want him to use me in this work. I want him to use me in this kingdom advancing work. I declare that I have not earned this gift. I have not earned this righteousness. I have not earned this freedom. I have not earned this grace. I declare that Christ loves me and has been pursuing me and calling me and he's extended it to me freely. And so now I'll walk in immediate obedience to him. I'll join him in this kingdom advancing work. Friends, God is passionate about sovereign, sovereignly advancing his kingdom, his church, and his gospel to the ends of the earth. And he divinely invites us to join him in this work. Let me pray for us. Jesus, this morning we come before you. And we humbly acknowledge that you are sovereign over all things in our lives. You're sovereign over our family. You're sovereign over our friends. You're sovereign over our coworkers. We acknowledge that in, that in many ways, we've, we have received the promptings of the spirit. We've received the broken heart and the burden of the soul, and we have ignored it. We've been a people, unlike Philip, who are not quick to obey but are quick to hide, to seek comfort, quick to be unsure, quick to be uncertain, convince ourselves that we're not sure, but in our heart of hearts we know this is the Spirit convicting us, drawing us, calling us to this person. I pray this morning would be a morning that that changes, that we wouldn't get caught up in, what do we say? We'd get caught up in, and I'm just gonna begin to listen well. And as the Spirit opens the doors, I'll stick my feet in and begin to look for the fruit of hunger and humility being produced in this friend's life, in this person's life. And with boldness, knowing that you've gone before me, knowing that you are, are passionate about advancing your kingdom, that you're gonna speak through me with boldness, I will declare to them the goodness of Christ. And I pray I pray that as we treasure you, that this would be a simple thing, 
as we treasure Christ, as we treasure you above all things, that it'd be simple to share our joy with these friends, with these neighbors, with these coworkers, with these family members who you've called us to. Let us be a people of, who are quick to obey, who run towards obedience, mark our lives, and let us delight and celebrate and find joy in the many sons that you call to glory through the work that you're doing in us and through us. I pray these things in your name, in the name of Jesus, amen.